Oh, what's going on here? What's all this shouting? We'll have no trouble here. Welcome back, Saddos, to another episode of Sitcom Archive Deep Dive Overdrive with me, Eggs Benedict. And Alison, are you free? I'm free. And me, Alison Barton Simmons. We are. The well is running dry. It is. We're struggling. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus, I'm glad it's nearly the end of the series so we could regroup and recatch Fraser ourselves up. So we're on the fourth episode of series two, the tenth episode of the twelve episode run of Faulty Towers. The Kipper and the Corpse. Yes. I like it. I like this one a lot. It was a bit migraine-inducing. Oh, it's manic. It's, it's oh. oh, yeah. Even more so than... Um, was it the psychiatrist? The psychiatrist, like In and yeah. out of doors, and there were doors shutting and people running upstairs. It, they were all over the place, weren't they? I couldn't keep up. I couldn't keep up with when I was watching it and I was sort of taking notes of what I was watching. I couldn't keep up with where, <laughs> where they were. They were just using the entire hotel. And they utilised the entire cast, including the old ladies and the major. And Yeah. Yeah, it was really, really hectic, wasn't it? It was. I did enjoy this one. Yes. So if you want to watch this episode prior to listening to us pull it apart and, and enjoy it and talk about it, you can find the episode on BBC iPlayer still, I believe, unless you're listening to this months in the future. It's also on BritBox and it's on YouTube and Dailymotion and places like that. And we embed the episode into our episode notes page on our own website, sado.club. Watch along and then join us as we as we chat about it. Or don't watch it, it's up to you. You can just listen to us talk about it if you wish. Yeah, we, we, we include plenty of detail, so you don't feel like you've missed anything by just um, dropping in on the pod. Alison? Yes? Guess which member of the Faulty Tower cast is on Cameo? It's not Andrew Sachs. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, I was going to say... Um, Hmm. I was only going to say Basil. Yeah. John Cleese. Yeah. John Cleese is the only one. I even looked up Cribbins. He's not on there. Is he not? No. Cleese is. And you would think, of all of the actors in it, he'd be the most successful and the one least in need The of... least likely to do it, yeah. Yeah. What's he but charging? 450 bucks. My goodness, that is a lot of money. Yeah. To hear him go... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I won't be. I won't be paying John four hundred and fifty dollars. I'm afraid. No. We thought we'd have a chat this week about recasting Faulty Towers for TV. It should never be done. Much, much as The Good Life should never be remade, although it is becoming a stage show, and I'm, I'm all right with that. It's more, it's more like, it's more like TV. You don't think you don't like to see them redo the TV classics. Like Porridge was a failure, and when they tried to redo that, and so many of them just fall flat. Yeah, but they do lend themselves to stage shows, and you know, good night out, I guess. But uh, if they if they absolutely insisted on recasting the cast of Faulty Towers and remaking it, we thought we'd have a little think about who could play which part. Yes, and um, I suppose as we were talking about Basil, what do you think, Al? Who could do Basil? Who could do Basil justice? Oh, I, I, I don't think there would be anyone that could do it the same justice as John Cleese. Hmm. However. I wanted to think of someone who was sort of quite wiry and had the ability to play manic. And the only person I could think of was Lee Mack. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. He does do manic. He's not this, obviously not the same kind of stature and um, physical look to him, I don't think. Mm. But I can imagine him taking on that role and, and doing it justice. 
I don't think Lee Mack, I mean, I, I like Lee Mack, but I don't mm. think he's a particularly great actor. I think he's great on panel shows and he's a good stand-up, but mm. not not the, the world's most wonderful actor. Um, but I went for another comedian as well, Greg Davies. Oh, now, yes. he's not wiry. I mean, he's massively tall, but he's tall and big, isn't he, rather than tall and... Yeah, he is tall and big. He's like a man mountain, isn't he? Having said that, I reckon John Cleese put on quite a bit of weight between the first and second series when I was... He looked less withery, I must admit. In the, the the episodes we've been watching recently, he's less he's less withery, I think. Mm, when he was down to his string vest, he sort of had the beginnings of a little pot belly going, didn't he? Mm. But I think Greg Davis could probably do it justice. He's certainly got the sort of crazy manicness about him. Yes. He's not really middle class though, is he? I don't know if he could play middle class. The he's got that agitation as well. He's he's, he's all he always plays characters. Yeah, because I think I always think in fact we watched him in, in something recently called The Cleaner on B on the BBC. Mm, I've seen trailers for it. Any good? I like Greg Davis, but I don't think the script was up to much. Mm. I lost interest a little bit. Helena Bonham Carter was in it as well, bizarrely. I was just not expecting that whatsoever, mm. but there she was. Anyway, I digress. He he plays Greg Davis in all the things that he's in. He's just, I think he yeah, is just Greg true. Davis. But I think he could ramp up the, the, the mania and the anger and the boiling hot temper. I think that would be, I think I think you're onto a winner there. I'm just thinking because of the fact that Greg Davis looks rather strikingly like Rick Mayle. Oh, God, yeah. And in fact, Rick Mayle played his dad, didn't he, in, he did. in one of his shows. If Rick Mayle was still with us, he could probably pull off Basil Fawlty, couldn't he? Yes. A slightly older version. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the other one I thought of, because I've I've mentioned this before, uh, is an actor, an Australian actor called Murray Bartlett, who was in a show called The White Lotus, playing a hotelier with right. very, very strong Basil vibes. Okay, yeah. He really channeled Basil Fawlty in that show, at, mm. um, mainly when he was coked off his tits. Right. But, um, <laughs> yeah, different character, but when he was high on drugs, he was very Basil. Yes. And I reckon he could do it. He could he he would be a great fit physically and facially, right? Um, so um, I, perhaps unless you've seen the White Lotus, you might not know of him. He's an Australian actor, but he's yeah. I'd recommend the White Lotus. It's really it's batshit crazy TV show. Mm, <laughs> it's right. really good. What about Sybil? Have you got anyone for Sybil? The only one I could think of for for Sybil would be Helen George, who is an actor in the UK. She was Trixie in Call the Midwife. Okay, who. She plays quite a, a middle-class beauty in Call the Midwife. I'm sure there's, there's more to arrange than just being um, a middle-class beauty. But I think she could stretch to that, oh, I know, Sybilness. Hmm. I don't know her, I must admit. I'll have to look she's her beautiful. up. She's beautiful. She's Yeah, she's, she's like, she's stunning. She's petite and, like Sybil. Yes, I think so. And yeah. I, yeah, I, I, and she's a good actor as well. See, I only really thought of one. I sort of thought Jessica Hines, but then I thought, no, not really. I do think she's a very good actress, Jessica Hines. Yeah. But then I thought Julia Davis is the obvious choice, probably, to pull off okay. Sybil. Mm. And she's not someone I'm overly enthusiastic about generally. Right. It's mainly as a writer. I think her, her shows okay. aren't my cup of tea. I mean, you know, lots right. of people love them. Yeah. But um, they're usually quite cruel in their humour. Yeah. But I think she could do a good Sybil. I think she's got that in her, in her acting mm. closet, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. What about Manuel? Oh, for Manuel, I, I wrote down loads of names, but then I realised that I was just writing down the names of little actors. 
<laughs> yeah, just small people. Just small people. Shall yeah. I read you the entire list and you can tell me if any of them... Go on. I've got Tom Hollander. Hang on, is he, is he, the, is he the vicar? Tom Hollander. Yeah, I think he is a vicar right, or something. Okay. okay. He's in lots of things, though. Yes. Toby Jones from The Detectorists and lots of other things. Very little man. Okay. Martin Freeman. Daniel yeah. Radcliffe. <laughs> and then at this stage, I realised what I was doing, so I wrote down Joe Pesci and Peter <laughs> Dinklage. <laughs> Maybe not. Stabs all the guests with pens. The only, the only one I had which was a bit out there was Henning Venn. Who's that? That's not someone I know. German comedian. Oh, all right. He's like the German comedian. His, his, his entire shtick is all about being German in England, really. Okay, all right. Um, and the character would have to be rewritten to be a German character rather than a Spanish character, because that's Why? just what he's known for. But Could he not do a Spanish accent? I don't think he can not sound like Henning Venn. I've okay. never seen him act, actually. Right. I don't know why he came to... I really I find him very funny, but he's he just plays a lot on that on that German okay. stereotype. Right. He's really good at it. Did you get any I, mean, I don't think any of them are particularly great. Maybe Toby Jones could turn his hand to anything. I got I had one. Yeah. Um because once I've thought of this person, I couldn't move beyond this person. Um and I, it's not someone whose work I appreciate. I know people do and absolutely adore him. Lee Evans. Oh, rubber faced Lee Evans. Rubber faced sweaty Lee Evans. Um, I could just see him, you know, the, all the pratfalls, all the slapstick. He'd over-egg it a bit. That would be my worry. If I yeah. cast him... That's what I was going to say. He wouldn't do it understated like Andrew Sachs did. He'd take, it, he'd take over, I think, and it'd be like the bloody Lee Evans show. Um, but I think for that that physical ability and comedy, I I could see him in that role. When you think of Lee Evans, do you does your mind immediately then leap to Phil Cool? Cause it does. Is. Yeah, the same mouth... Sort yeah. of that wobbly face, that kind of... Big rubbery. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure that's not how he calls himself on his CV. Rubbery face comic. That is pretty much what he's known for. I mean, whatever happened to Phil Cool? His one of them just disappeared, didn't he? I don't know. Is he still alive? Maybe he's doing a Blackpool circuit. Maybe. I hope he's not died. If he has, we're going to have to rename this episode Rip Phil Cool. <laughs> I'll look it up afterwards. For Polly, I had a couple that I thought, well, I know I had three I thought would be really okay. good, but do you want to go first? I haven't got a Polly. Well, I've got three for you to choose from. I've got Morgana go Robinson. All right, yes. Sort of, uh, she's an uh, impers- impressionist and actor yes. and comic. Daisy Ridley from Star Wars. I just thought she'd be quite good at it. Yeah, sensible and... I can just see her delivering the lines. I don't know. Yeah. She doesn't, she doesn't necessarily look like a Polly. No. But I think... She could, yeah, I think she did the part justice. But but the main one for me was Imogen Poots. Okay. I think she'd be a great Polly. But I, I do rate her in everything I've seen her in. And I, do, I just like saying her name out loud. Poots. Imogen Poots. Yeah. Poots. Yeah. Did you get any of the others? Or did you bother doing any of the others? Um, I didn't. I stopped at, I stopped at the four main characters. Well, I stopped at three, actually. I didn't even bother with the four. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I got, I got one for Terry, Carl Howman. Of course, he is. He is the ultimate jackal, isn't he? I he think is. I've even written. I think even this week when I was making my notes, I just referred to him as Jacko. I didn't even bother with his real name. Uh, for the major, I thought it would be quite nice to get Cribbins, Cribbins. back in Cribbins. to do the major instead yes. of being Mister Hutchison. Yes, he could give good old sort of dotty old man, couldn't he? I reckon these days. Yeah, I think so. 
And then the little old ladies, I thought we could get like a couple of national treasures, maybe Maggie Smith and Judy Dench as little old ladies. I was thinking Maggie Smith then. As soon as you said that, then I thought Maggie Smith uh, and Judy and Dench, I, yeah. I had really strong opinions on Mrs. Richards. I thought the perfect actress for Mrs. Richards would be Maureen Lippman. Oh, that's a good shout. Isn't it? That was the one I was most confident in when I came mm. up with. Because then I went off the boil and I wrote down Mr. Hutchison... Ken Morley. <laughs> Reg Oldswift. Safe style UK, I want your windows. <laughs> but you can see, you know what I mean by it? You can see him being that fastidious, fussy little twerp. Absolutely, yeah. Similar voices, actually. When I think back to Mr. Hutchinson's voice, yeah. obviously it's Cribbins, you can hear you can hear him, you can hear Ken Morley in, in, that, in that voice, I think. Yeah, yeah. Not that I'm sure Cribbins was basing it on Morley in the 70s. No, obviously not unless he had a time machine. But yeah. Probably about the same age. The only other one I got, and I don't know why I wrote this down really, but Mr. Hamilton from Waldorf Salad. Yeah. He actually strongly reminds me of Rachel's dad in Friends. Do you remember Rachel's dad? Yes. Yep. Just similar sort of loud brash. Yep. We didn't mention last week, um, I've just realised Mr. Hamilton um, was in Star Wars. Was he? Yes. What was he in Star Wars? As General Reacon, I think it was. <laughs> and, and, and do you know what I did think? I did think he looked familiar. And when I saw a picture of him in The Empire Strikes Back, that's, yeah, that's where I knew him from. What scene was he? wasn't the guy who walked in on Vader when he had his helmet off, was he? Off the top of my head, I can't, I, I don't know. I, think. But it... I just imagine him walking in and ordering a world of salad <laughs> <laughs> Lettuce, grapes, walnuts. <laughs> Put your helmet back on. So, if you've got any other ideas who would perhaps make a good Basil or Sybil or the Major or anyone else, flick us a message. Obviously, we don't really think it should be re- rebooted because some things are sacrosanct, but uh, it's nice just to fantasise, isn't it? Of course. Should we get stuck into this one, then? Let's do it. The Kipper and the Cops. <laughs> So the sign this week is Fatty Owls. Yes. That's that, that's without... Um, yeah, there's Fartful, letters missing there, isn't Fartful, there? T. Yeah, there is. There's no E in us. Towers. He must bring some back. He must put them in like his Parker pocket. Yeah, he must do. Sneak back and then add some and take some more. Yeah. <laughs> he must just I like have a load of Scrabble tiles in his <laughs> yeah. pocket as he's going around. Yeah. But again, this week, we open to a busy scene, like the fourth one in a row. Every single episode of Series 2 opens to a really busy scene. Yeah. And in this one, we've got a busy bar, presumably in the evening at some point. Yes, it looks like it, doesn't it? Like they've all yeah. had dinner and they're having a having a tipple. Having a snifter. Hmm. A wee swally. Yes. And the Major's sort of dining with a kind of hoity-toity sort, isn't he? Mrs. Chase. Mrs. Chase and her Shih Tzu dog, Prince. They use the obvious Shih Tzu joke, don't they? Oh, I, yeah, I liked it. It was early. It was it was early. Yeah, an early an early shit joke, which I which I quite liked. My favourite use of the Shih Tzu joke was in that movie Repossessed with Leslie Nielsen. I haven't seen that. It's like a spoof of The Exorcist. Oh right. 
and there's, there's two TV presenters on and one's got a little dog and the little dog bites the fella and he goes, okay. why you little shit? And the audience <laughs> goes, <gasps> and he goes, shih tzu, little shih tzu. And they all go, ah, oh. quick recovery. But uh, yeah, this, this woman's hard work and, uh, she, and the major says to her, it's hard to imagine him stalking away, dear. What? <sighs> yeah. You never hear people say what at the end of sentences like that anymore, do you? It's what? gone, that, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's of, it, of its time, isn't it? Going what at the end. I might bring it back. What? What? Not like Mrs. Richards. <laughs> different, what? Different intonation. <laughs> <laughs> but Manuel is instructed to look after Prince for Mrs. Chase because Basil's in charge of the human guests. Yes. <laughs> He's not happy at having to fuss and faff over this dog for Mrs. Prince. Oh, not Mrs. Chase. Mrs. Not Mrs. Prince. Mrs. Prince. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Prince, the artist formerly known as Mrs. Chase. Her name is Prince and she is funky. So then we, we, <laughs> we go over to the bar and we see Dr. Price, which is, of course, Jeffrey Palmer. Yay, Jeffrey Palmer. He's at the bar and he's immediately sort of in his misanthropic kind of Jeffrey Palmer shtick, isn't he? Yes, he is. And I like this character so much because he's like, He's such a surreal, one-dimensional character. The only thing that this character, this doctor, gives a flying fuck about is sausages. Sausages. It's all he wants. A poor man. He's like sort of the human form of Sweep from the Sutty Show, isn't he? All he cares about is sausages. Yes, he is. <laughs> and he's asking Sybil, saying he wants some sausages, and Sybil says, oh, the chef will have locked them away. And I thought, why would you lock sausage? What do you do with them when you put them in the sausage vault? I mean, I thought that was an odd, an odd thing to have done with the sausages. At the end of the night, does he put away all his meats in a special meat vault? It's a meat weird. vault. That's where everything goes. The meat vault. Apart from the ham, because he he can't have ham sandwiches apparently, and Basil's happy to make him a ham sandwich because he's a doctor. He wouldn't have done it for anyone else. No. And then there's this weird couple, like an older older guy and a young, tall mm. lady who are desperate to get upstairs. It seems. And Basil says, I'm sorry to have kept you. Very amorous, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Having a dirty weekend away or something, maybe. Yeah. She keeps pawing him and, and she just looks very excited about the prospect of, of yeah, going upstairs. Well, they, they head off to reception, don't they, and get their key from Sybil, who's on the phone. As they depart to go upstairs, a party arrive with one of the one of the members of this party who are just sort of conversing in the lobby, not not with mm. any of the main characters, yeah. One of them, he's feeling a bit crook, isn't he? He's a bit. Yeah. Sorry, I went a bit on New Zealand there. He's feeling a bit ill. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's feeling a bit crook. But well, we've all seen neighbours. I know that's not New Zealand, but yeah, crook. <laughs> yeah, I'll try not to slip into too much Kiwi slang. This guy's basically saying goodbye to his his colleagues and his friends because he's having an early night because he's not feeling so well. Mm. So Sybil gives him his key and he goes off to retire up to bed. And as he's passing Basil. Basil says goodnight, and he just ignores Basil. And Basil, obviously being Basil, doesn't want to let this go. He says goodnight. Just and assume almost... straight away that this man's like ignorant, and actually, he's probably just trying to stop vomit from coming out of his mouth. He, the poor, the poor bloke's feeling terrible. And well, the guy does respond to him the second time, and then Basil mm. says, "Didn't hurt, did it?" Oh, honestly. Sybil obviously, you know, has a pop at him, and he says, "Well, he only had to say goodnight. It's not the Gettysburg Address." <laughs> Some great Basil has some wonderful lines in this series. Yes, he? he does. Yeah, but he actually comes back this guest before he staggers upstairs to say he would like breakfast in bed, 
which again gets Basil's uh, back up, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, he says most of our guests managed to struggle down in the mud. <laughs> <laughs> Sybil's given him a litany of options for his breakfast. Too many for this poor ill man to contemplate, really. I can't imagine. You know, like when you feel ill and someone tries to tempt you with food and it just makes mm. you feel even worse. I can't. I, yeah, that must have been difficult for, for the character to try and come up with a list of what he wanted for breakfast while feeling so rubbish. He just wants to get away, and when he, he thinks does. he finally has, Basil's saying, Rosewood, mahogany, teak? What would you like your <laughs> breakfast tray made out of? Rosewood, mahogany, teak? <laughs> uh, there you go, fine. What would you like your breakfast tray made out of? <laughs> I don't really mind. Are you sure? Fine. Well, you go along and have a really good night's sleep, then. I'm hoping to get a couple of hours later on myself. I'll be having good time to serve you your breakfast in bed. If you can remember to sleep with your mouth open, you won't even have to wake up. I'll just drop in small pieces of lightly buttered kipper when you're breathing in the right direction, if that doesn't put you out. And then, when he disappears, Basil's expecting a, a sort of a reprimand off Sybil, but she's disappeared, so he does it to himself. He's Basil his own hands. Himself. Yeah, he's, he's learning, isn't he? He is learning. Yeah, well, it's almost like Pavlov's dog, isn't it? It's it like, is. What, what comes next? So we cut to breakfast and Dr. Sausages, or whatever his name is. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm like with names. I didn't, I haven't written it down. What is it? Do you remember? Um. <laughs> Just call him Dr. Sausages. Or- Dr. Price, but I like Dr. Sausages better. Yeah. He's still waiting for sausages to be brought out of the sausage fault, isn't he, at this point? <laughs> they got the golden sausages. And, and Mrs. Chase is still faffing over this little shih tzu of hers. Yes. In, in the dining room. And, it, you know, it just looks like a kind of annoying scene to have to tend to. You understand Basil getting up yeah. in the morning thinking, oh, Christ, another day with these arseholes. Yeah. Basil is asked at this point in the kitchen by Sybil to put the kippers in the fridge. And this yes. is where Basil, Basil observes that they should have been eaten by the sixth. Clearly very worried about it to labour the mm. point as exposition. And both yeah. Sybil... And Jacko are just like, no, they're fine. They're fine, Mr. Faulty. And back in the dining room, Prince has bitten Manuel at this point, hasn't he? He's given him a little nip. Yes. And Mrs. Chase wants to get some sausages delivered for Prince for his breakfast. She faffs over this dog so much, she wants him to have a place on the table and Polly to cut up the, the sausages for him. And um, I think he, be- he bites Polly as well, doesn't he? He and does. Manuel gets very protective and... So, so Polly says, I'll go into the kitchen and cut them up there where she, she's clearly harbouring a grudge because she's pouring pepper all over these sausages. Yes, like Tabasco, like hot sauce, isn't it? All over them. Yeah, to keep, teach the dog a lesson. Yeah. Which, without one who's preempting too much, means that she's guilty of dogicide, doesn't it, later oh, no. on? Oh, no. Does she kill him? I think she does. Ah, yes, there is confusion later on about who's dead. Oh, what a wicked, wicked woman. Oh, dear. She's, she's killed a dog. Basil's still moaning about the kippers being past the, the sell-by date, really laying it on thick so mm. that we know that there's a problem with these kippers. Yes. Which I think is necessary to understand it Basil's is. reaction that comes... Yes. It sets the scene for a few scenes along, doesn't it? Yeah, but Sybil's just dismissive. She says to him, go and take the breakfast up to Mr. Corpse. Yeah, Mr. Corpse, yes. Because <laughs> I don't know his name either. <laughs> Mr. Lehman. Mr. Lehman, yes, I will remember that because he's the name of an Arsenal goalkeeper. Mr. Mr. Lehman. Dead. <laughs> so Basil goes upstairs for the breakfast, knocks, doesn't get an answer, and then just blusters in and delivers the breakfast onto his lap, launches into a, like an anti-socialism diatribe, opens the curtains, 
and then leaves, all despite this yeah. guy quite clearly being brown bread. Yes. Yeah, he's not even he's he's been busy so busy shouting and, and sort of picking holes in the fact that this guy doesn't speak that yeah, he's not noticed that he's actually grey and and quite dead. Eyes open. He's a stiff. He is. Bereft of life. He rests in peace. He does. <laughs> Perhaps he's a Norwegian blue guest. He just likes to lie on his back. So he, when he doesn't reply, Basil just assumes he's ignorant, which is the seed that they'd actually sowed with the previous night scene where yes. he didn't reply. That's why that's in there, I assume. Mm. To sort of play into Basil's feeling that the guy's just, just very ignorant. Just rude, yeah. It's all it's all very cleverly written, isn't it, to tie up all the loose ends? Yes. Sometimes it seems like a stretch, but you have to put that groundwork in to make yeah. some, some of Basil's conclusions that he draws to make sense to him. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Basil's back downstairs in the kitchen moaning about this ignorant guest to Sybil and, and Terry. And Polly is on her way back up to room eight with Mr. Corpse's milk. Yes. Yeah. No one's sort of talking to him, though. He, he's sort of like talking out loud, but not everyone seems to be ignoring him. Is that because they're all busy? Well, wouldn't you? If you had someone like that. <laughs> yes. If someone like that who's constantly moaning yeah. and whinging, you'd just tune them out, wouldn't you? Yeah. Not surprised. I think at this point, Terry's making the doctor's sausages. He passes them to Manuel to garnish. And then Polly bursts in saying that Mr. Corpse is dead. Mr. Lehman is dead. Yes. And they're sort of like, oh. But when Basil, because he's just been in to do some waiting or whatever, when he comes back in and he's told that, that Mr. Lehman's dead, he idiotically assumes that it's the kipper's what done it. Yes, of course. And sprints upstairs, sort of bursts into the room, he grabs the kippers off the plate and then he's trying to open the window to sling the kippers out oh, onto the floor. Oh, God, wall. again, setting himself up for just for it just becoming farcical. There's no, it's only been like two minutes. The only way those kippers, even if he'd managed to eat them, would have killed him that fast is if they'd sort of come back to life as piranhas and fucking gnashed his yeah, head off. Yeah, bitten him. Yeah. 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 There's no way. Polly's trying to get through to him to say, look, the kippers are untouched. And, and eventually he does listen to this and he just starts celebrating wildly, punching the air. Oh, it's a real sort of over exaggeration, isn't it? Of, 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 happiness knowing that he's not killed him but he's still got a dead he's still got a dead guest in one of the rooms and he looks so odd to dr sausages who's just walked in yes because he's he's, like, he's basically walked into a situation where there's a corpse and a hotelier celebrating wildly yeah that it's not something that you see every day no for some reason though basil's still proceeding with trying to sling these kippers out the window even though he knows the kippers aren't off yeah the, the kippers don't matter anymore no I'm not entirely sure why he's still trying to do that. There's confusion with Dr. Sausages over the breakfast situation because Polly's yes. saying, oh, well, I found the body when I brought the milk up. And the doctor says, well, why were you bringing the milk up? Who brought the breakfast up? Basil has to fess up that he'd come up there and hadn't actually twigged that the guy was dead. And Dr. Sausages is appalled by this lack of... Yeah, why did you not notice? It made me feel really uncomfortable, this scene, because you could see it yeah. coming a mile off and it just made me feel uneasy. I did like Basil's when when he lost it though, and he just started saying, "If a guest isn't singing, oh what a beautiful morning!" I don't immediately think, "Oh, there's another one snuffed it in the night." <laughs> another name in a faulty towers book of remembrance. <laughs> As he's ranting and raving, I wound this back to have a look. As he's ranting hmm. and raving, 
Initially, he's got no kipper sticking out of his out of his tank top. Okay. And then they cut back to him, and all of a sudden, he's got half a kipper. He's like a, yeah, he's got like a tail sticking out. Yeah, how it would have crept up unless it was still alive. <laughs> this kipper sort of crept up his uh, tank top. <laughs> Sybil explains to him that there's a kipper sticking out of his jumper, and sort of leads him out away from the causing yeah. more damage in front of Doctor Sausages. Mm-hmm. Years ago, I was on a. I think I was on a keep. I was on a get fit sort of vibe, you know. Okay. So I joined a gym and there was a gym not far from where I worked, but it was right by Sainsbury's. Okay. So I thought I'll go to the Sainsbury's and get some sandwich meat and then I'll go to the gym. Yes. <laughs> so I went in, but I don't know why. I obviously needed something for me, bread rolls or something. Yeah. Went in, bought the sandwich meat, went to the gym, had a workout. And then when I was back in the change rooms getting changed, I was just sort of sorting my bag out, getting dressed and everything. And I put everything back in my bag. I was ready to go back to work. And he's yeah. went, oh, excuse me, mate. Is this your... Uh... And he just picked up like this pack of um, ham. It was just lying on the bench. <laughs> is this your ham? Is this your uh... is this your sandwich ham? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You never know when you might get peckish on a workout, do you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with that. Why am I, t- why am I telling that story? Oh, yeah, just because the kipper out the jumper just reminded me of having... having... Of having ham in your in your sports bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can sometimes be caught with meat in strange places. <laughs> yes, you can. You can. <laughs> Pocky meat. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, I mean, it does actually say hotel outside. You know, I mean, perhaps I should be more specific. Hotel for people who have a better than fifty percent chance of making it through the night. So back downstairs, Sybil's in- instructing Basil to move the body. He says, she says there's no spare rooms, so move the body to the office, to the office mind. Yes. <laughs> until the undertakers can come, which is quite possibly the most stupid decision anyone's ever made in Faulty Towers. Because mm. they're talking about taking a body out of a private bedroom and carrying yeah, it through, down the stairs. Through the hotel. Through the lobby yeah. into this yeah. office, which is quite open anyway. Oh, God. Yeah. I couldn't believe that. I think Dr. Sausages says we need to call a coroner at this point, which is an important bit of plot device. Yes. And Polly's calling the undertakers or the coroner to say, we've had someone die. And then I think Miss Miss Gatsby comes out and, and she has to sort of cover for herself. Yes. But Miss Gatsby says to, to Basil, you're very cheerful. And given that he's just been worried about covering up for this death, he says, well, one of the guests has just died. <laughs> yeah, you think he'd be like keeping it stum. Obviously not. When the doctor comes downstairs, Basil grabs Manuel to go upstairs and retrieve the corpse from from the bed yes. where, where it's been left. And they, they bring the corpse out of the room covered in a sheet. And this is where Miss Tibbs accosts them because she just suddenly appears out of her own room. Yes. Uh, when the sheet falls off, revealing the carcass, she screams... Yells, he's dead, <laughs> which is like a very seventies British sitcom trope, really, isn't it? If you see a dead body, yeah. if anyone ever sees a dead body, they scream and react like there's been a murder, even though there's no evidence of, yes. of such. Yeah, she's screaming and cussing. Yep, while she's busy shouting murder, murder, murder. Polly slaps her. Well, that's another trope, isn't it? If, if anyone yeah. ever starts screaming, they need a slap. A slap, yeah. But Basil's reaction when she when she's been slapped is funny. Oh, great, fantastic! <laughs> He's the one who told her to do it. Yeah, it, I loved it. It was such a good line. Ah, he's dead. <laughs> 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 it's all my 
Shut up! Oh my God! Slap her! Slap her! Slap her! She's hysterical! Slap her! Murder! Slap her! Murder! Oh, spiffing! Absolutely spiffing! Well done! Two dead, twenty-five to go. <laughs> to be fair, she was screaming murder at this point. She was, so you I would mean, want to quiet her down, but perhaps not with a punch to the face. Well, to be honest, I think it's a bit much that she's passed out because po- Polly's only slapped her, but she's she's yeah. in- unconscious at this point. And then because somebody's coming up the stairs, Basil and Manuel drag both Miss Tibbs and <laughs> the stiff yes. into, into another random room. Yes. And predictably, the people who come up the stairs are the inhabitants of this room. It's the random rumours. It is. Of course it is. Yeah, but let's call them that because, as usual, I don't know their names. <laughs> um, random rumours. They rooms. are the, the Whites. Okay, the Whites. The Whites. And Mr. White, played by the ultra-Welsh Richard Davis, mm. I always think that he could be played by Bob Mortimer. I think he's got a Bob Mortimer look about him. If Bob Mortimer... Was to play, was to pretend to be Welsh in some kind of Vic and Bob vehicle. I think he would, yeah, there's a, a Bob Mortimerness about him in my head. Is he a, is, he, is this Richard Davis? Is he a regular sitcom? Yes, he's, he? so, yeah, he's someone that I remember watching on all sorts of TV shows. He always, and he always turned up in like very similar roles as well. Mm-hmm. What? Where he's locked out of his room from a corpse? Yes, yes, <laughs> because there's a dead body. It's terrible when you get typecast, isn't it? <laughs> but he wants to get. He wants to go in. He's saying, "Look, faulty, we want our things." But when Polly knocks to get Basil's attention, Basil's just going, "All clear." <laughs> uh, yeah. Immediately looks guilty, and he sort yes. of says, "Well, I'll let you in in a minute." And he disappears to stash the corpse and poor Miss Tibbs. Yes, together. In the wardrobe, yeah. Well, in I suppose you've got no, no other choice than to put them in both in there. And then he lets them in to get their things. But as luck would have it, Miss Tibbs chooses this moment to come round. Yes. And oh, God. A, as Manuel's passing the coats to these guests, we hear Miss Tibbs start to groan. So they all start singing Viva Hispania. <laughs> yeah. And doing a bit of flamenco dance. Yeah. He's Just anything to distract. Yeah, he's... I've said we've said about Polly being loyal, but Manuel is pretty loyal too. Oh yeah. Although he does give up in this one. <laughs> Haven't said that. I think I would by the end. Yeah, you would. I think. Well, the Welsh guests can hear Tibbs in the cupboard, and they insist that she gets let let out. And Manuel's pretty useless at this point because Basil's trying to pretend yeah. he doesn't know where the key is, and he's like, "Oh no, it's in your pocket!" And he gets out, fishes out the, the a key. fish. Oh no, not the fish. Sorry. <laughs> he fishes out a fish. You're thinking of the other room. <laughs> no fish. Miss Tibbs comes out of the of the wardrobe sobbing and Basil starts yelling at her saying, you can hide in your own cupboard, not the other guests, as if this is something that she's, you know, got a penchant for. It's always happening, this. Oh, dear. And um, there's lots of physical things happening at once at this point because there's an arm hanging out of the, of the cupboard from the cadaver. Yep. In order to cover this, Basil's going, oh my God, look at that. Points over to the corner room and starts stamping on an imaginary bug. Whilst Manuel yeah. does more flamenco dancing and Polly puts the arm back in the cupboard. So it, everything's sort of happening at once. It's, you know, sort of crescendo of yes. this little scene. Evening, Major. Evening, Hampshire one. This is where we fade out and we cut to later where Miss Tibbs is in bed being attended to by Sybil. Yes. 
she's pouring her tea and sympathising in drone-like fashion, isn't she? Yeah. Oh, I know. I know. She just, she just wants Miss Tibbs to just go to sleep and have a rest. Yeah, yeah. She's like being consoled by like the low sort of hum of a bagpipe, isn't it? It's just... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> With a wig on! It, it's sort of anaesthetised you, yeah, I, could, I could expect, but... Oh. Not yeah, it wouldn't make you feel loved and sympathised with. But Tibbs is is righteously fucked off at this point. <laughs> the yeah. way she's been treated. Yeah, you know she's right. point, pointing out that she's one of one of the oldest guests. In fact, later on, doesn't she inexplicably just announce to some other guests, "I'm seventy eight. Yeah, which surprised me because she looks about two hundred. Yeah, that's not old, is it? Seventy eight, really? No, she seemed proud of it. Get over yourself, love. I know it's the seventies. Yeah. I think it might have been then, though. Back then. I remember my grandparents at like sixty being old people. Yeah. And now at sixty, it's 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 just not any age at all, is it? No. But she's she's really fed up, and but Sybil's trying to convince her not to get herself worked up, and she yes. can talk to Mister Faulty later. And down at reception, we see the Welsh couple are leaving because they've clocked yeah. the Faulty Towers is a, is a fucking madhouse, and they're just like, yeah, we're off, we're going somewhere else. Fire into it. Yep. Was at this point that Manuel and Basil take Mr. Remains downstairs <laughs> yes, into the office and they manage to get him all the way into the office where upon the major bustles in, you know, where's the fucking papers sort of thing. Yeah. Um, for some reason, Basil, who is normally a congenital liar, he mm. just tells the major the truth straight away, which is out of yeah. character. He says, "What's the matter with him? He doesn't look look, look the full ticket or something." And he says, "Oh, he's dead <laughs> straight away." Yeah. <laughs> Another terrible decision. You wouldn't tell that guy because he'll tell everyone, surely. Well, he says, um, he says to to Faulty, "You need to get rid of him because he'll start to attract the flies." Probably good advice. Well, doesn't yes. he think that he? He said he died in his sleep, and he said, "Oh, caught off guard." <laughs> he just thinks everything's about being shot, doesn't he? Yes, yeah. So at this point, Dr. Sausages comes back complaining that his sausages still, still haven't Still sausages, this man. You know, he's just, he, he lacks certain um, perspective and priority in his life. Mm. Can you imagine going to see him as a doctor and he'd not had his morning sausages? Just prescribe your sausages for anything, any ailment you've got. Yeah, he'd probably just start messing with your fingers, fantasising about <laughs> sausages. <laughs> yeah, imagine that. I prescribe you some Cumberlands. Yeah. That'll, that'll sort it all out. Basil rushes into the kitchen to cook the sausages, ignoring Miss yes. Tibbs, who's, who's come down to have it out with Faulty. Um, but shortly afterwards, Tibbs screams out in reception because obviously she's decided to walk herself into the office to find Faulty. But instead of finding Faulty, she's found Mr. Cadaver again. Yeah. Oh. And she screamed and fainted yet again. Basil and Manuel, yet again, pick up Mr. Kipper, whatever he's called. <laughs> What's this? this is so, so it's so frenetic this episode i'm really struggling to remember everything happened they pick him up mr lehman yeah mr lehman they pick him up by the kipper by the feet and, uh, hands, <laughs> and, uh, and uh they, they're gonna carry him through to the kitchen i think but then miss gatsby appears so they're diverted outside is that right yes yes that's right we're outside now with the body and the, that Welsh couple are driving off and they sort of see them holding this body and yes, and are then, appalled. Yeah. Did they crash the car? I don't know, but um, a bit later we see them come back in and go upstairs, which is the last thing you would do at that hotel, having just seen... Yeah. You're gone. Just go. Yeah. Go anywhere. 
Yeah. Once the I think once the car's out of the way, they go back in and they do manage to get the body into the kitchen. Just as they Yep. Maybe they were gonna put it in a meat vault actually. <laughs> oh god, yeah, that's a good place to keep it. <laughs> Mr Sausage the Doctor Sausages I'm oh, fucking I'm yep. all over the show. Doctor Sausages comes in and declares they can't possibly keep the body there. Yes. And he must sterilise the place, although he'll make an exception if he can cut the sausages first. But the sausages end up they end up cremated, don't they? The sausages, they're all burnt. He burns them because Basil's... I think what happens is Polly's trick on the Shih Tzu comes back into play and Mrs yes. Chase is very upset that Prince is ill. She's running around, yes. one in a vet. And this is where they throw the body in the hamper, which possibly they should yes. have done a long time ago, actually. First job. And this is a re- another really weird decision because they carry the hamper out to reception. Yes. There's a guy waiting at reception. They leave this hamper in the middle of the reception to go and make sausages and to clean up the dining room table. I mean, you you just wouldn't do that, but I guess it serves a plot. Having left this hamper in the middle of reception, mm. we see Sybil's comforting Tibbs at this Miss Tibbs at this stage because she's got PTSD or something. She's sort of she just no, rocking yeah, back no and forth, and she she's yes. like. Poor Miss Tibbs. And then there's this weird Mexican standoff between Dr. Sausages and Manuel in the dining mm-hmm. room, which I think is brilliant because you get the immortal line, I'm a doctor and I want my sausages. Which <laughs> <laughs> is one of the best lines in Faulty Towers. And it's delivered by the ultimate straight man actor as well, isn't it? Yes. I don't know if you picked up on it. I'm assuming that it was a subtle joke whereby they were doing a deliberate sort of skit of bullfighting because... Manuel yes, with the, the with the tablecloth. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think this is the first time I'd ever noticed that. Actually, watching it as a kid, I probably didn't pick up on the matador no. type thing. No. Yeah, because they were they were having a proper head to head, weren't they? The doctor and Manuel, because yeah, Manuel's a stickler for the rules, isn't he? Just yeah, like, but I, do you think it's more to do with the fact that Manuel's understanding of English? He likes to know what's what's happening and and stick to that because he knows he's, he's like aware of how to deal with all that and if it's if it all stays the same then mm. you get stressed if it's off cope. script won't he yeah yeah i understand yeah. i suppose but he's very much a stickler he's just like it's not possible bye bye <laughs> the doctor's just no sausages 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 yeah <laughs> you might as well at this point just have been squeaking like sweep yeah that's <laughs> <laughs> all he cares about isn't it? sausages 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 <laughs> manuel uh, I think Basil comes out and just gives Manuel a poke in the eye, which is totally he unnecessary. Does. Aww. It's at this point, isn't it? I don't know who that guy was in reception before. Mr. Ing- Mr. Ingram. Okay, who's he then? Right, there's a story about Mr. Ingram. Go on. So the guy in reception is Mr. Ingrams. Um, he's one of the guests. and But he was named after Richard Ingrams, who was then the TV reviewer for The Spectator. And apparently, in 1975, thought the programme was rather nasty, while Basil Fawlty seemed unpleasant and lacking in humanity. Richard said in 2014 that he was the one person who did not find Cleese funny and acknowledged Cleese gained his revenge in this episode when Mr Ingrams was found in his room, and and this comes later on, when the door opens and we see Mr Ingrams in his room. Oh, that's that guy. With a blow-up doll. So yeah. it was in order to get back at Richard Ingram's. Because that, scene, that scene's totally at yeah, odds with everything nothing. that's going on, it? Isn't means it means nothing in this in this episode, but apparently it was it was shoehorned in there to get back at the TV reviewer from The Spectator who didn't like Cleese or Faulty Towers. 
I can believe that because, as I said last week or the week before, he is a man with beef, isn't he? Oh yeah, yeah. He, he bears a grudge. Yeah, he does. He does. He keeps all these stored up in his in his head. So yeah, that's interesting. But when when we go back out to reception at this point, it's not him there, is it? It's not Mister Ingram. It's it's Mister Corpse's friends who've come to collect yes. him. Mister Ingram's is there, but then he disappears. Right. Okay. Which and, and he could be. It could be a character that there, there was no need for him to be there. He doesn't add anything to the story apart from the laugh later on with the with the doll. Hmm. Um, but no, the, yeah, it's the it's the, the the men and the lady from yesterday in reception. And when they say they've come to collect uh, Mr. Corpse, yes. Basil assumes, obviously they don't say Mr. Corpse because they don't know he's dead, but uh, Basil no. assumes that they're the coroners. Of course, which you would do, because we're here to collect him. Sounds like you're just coming to pick up a body. It does, yeah. We're here to, we're here to take Mr. Mr. Lehman to his meeting. Yeah, you only collect corpses or children from nurseries you don't collect fully grown men from hotels do you i'm going to collect you here hold my hand yeah yeah it's it was an odd an odd description of 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 what was happening but then they say what's what's he doing in the basket and basil says not much <laughs> 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 basil also says i didn't know women did it about yeah cor- coroner being a uh, coroner yeah just to go to show he's he's very much a dinosaur Although I don't know if there were many female coroners in the 70s. Perhaps it was a, another industry that was dominated by men. It tended know. to be um, people that were that had been like lawyers and um, judges. So perhaps, yeah, it probably was still a male, a male-oriented profession at, at the time. Well, when, when they opened the hamper to show these three visitors, yes. M- Mr. Corpse, he's gone. He's been yes. collected by the laundry folk. <laughs> yeah. Which again is a stretch. How would you not notice collecting the laundry that there was yeah. a fucking dead man in there? <laughs> but there you go. And then oh, while all this is going on, the sausages are burning in the kitchen and Basil and Manuel, uh, they have to chase outside to stop the laundry man. Yes, taking the hamper. Yeah. They get the corpse back and Basil and Manuel, for some reason, take Mr. Cadaver back upstairs. Yes. Don't know why. Edmund Major's there and he says, another one faulty. No, same one, Major. <laughs> That's, this is when they burst into that room where the guy's got yeah. his... Yeah. I wonder what he wanted at reception. It's the middle of the day. He's been down at reception. Next minute, he's in his gym jams with a blow-up doll from Dell's van. Yeah. And yeah. He's, he probably wanted a valve or something. <laughs> Perhaps it was, yes. <laughs> a pump. So, yes, they burst in there. They come out. So they burst into another room where... The Welsh woman's gone back into her old room and fell asleep. Yeah. And Polly throws the duvet over her and they stumble out of that room. They go back downstairs and burst into the kitchen. Yes. Where the doctor, I love this because he's making his own sausages. But have you, <laughs> yeah. Have you ever seen a man so, just so fucking at peace with himself as this doctor? Make He's just yeah. happy as a pig in shit. Yeah. Again, no pun intended with pig, but he's basically making his own sausages and the guy is in seventh heaven because he's doing what he loves best, which isn't doctoring. It's eating sausages. Cooking and eating sausages. He might as well have just yeah. stayed at home and made his own sausages, but he's he's happy. Yeah. Out in reception, they've been carrying this cadaver around so long, Manuel is exhausted. He just says, I Aww. quit. He's, he's exhausted, isn't he? They can't find anywhere to put this thing. So he just says, I quit, and he literally jumps into the hamper himself. 
Yeah. Which I, I was expecting Basil to beat the shit out of him, which is what he normally does. But instead, mm. Basil's left with this corpse and nothing to do with it. So he ends up propping up Mr. Corpse and miming it. And that's no good to anyone listening. But he's propping up the corpse against a hat rack. Yes. Which has mysteriously <laughs> appeared in this episode. It's never usually yeah. there, is it? <laughs> no. He's, he's hiding it into behind his back. Yeah. And this is where the corpse's friends are about to leave and one of them realises he needs his hat, which hat. is being obscured by Basil, who in in turn is also obscuring the corpse. Yes. And he, he won't give him his hat because he can't without showing what's behind him. Polly comes downstairs, retrieves Manuel from the hamper and Manuel calls her a scab, you big scab. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's not a word you would expect this man with very little English to know, is it? You no, big scab. No. No, that's how that's become part of his lexicon. I don't know. Where's the basket? I can't leave. Come on, come on. No, too difficult, too tired. Is somebody coming? Mr. Fawlty, I no want to work here anymore. Open the basket. Ah, open the basket. Now, inside. Not you. I quit. Get out. I'll strike. I'm one of you. I stay here. It's nice. He's obviously been looking into unions as he's been over there. Chicago, yeah. So, yeah, so Polly gives the man his hat. Miss Tibbs bursts into reception. The Welshies come downstairs. Mrs. Chase comes downstairs in tears because Polly's killed a dog. The dog's dead. Basil, as I always say, does what you should always do. He just directs him. He says, here's my wife. Go and talk to my wife. Go and let Sybil deal with it all. That should be the first port of call. Speak to Sybil. And then he jumps in the, jumps in the uh, hamper himself and gets carried out by the linen men to make his escape. And I'm sure this triggered you because all you can hear at this point is Aww. Sybil going, Basil! Basil! He was like nails down a board, like down a blackboard. I like the ending of this one, though, because he just like, that's it, I give up, and he gets his escape. Yes. I like to think he just stayed in there all the way, <laughs> the all the way the to like London or something or wherever <laughs> they were doing the laundry. Yeah. It was a very frenetic episode. It was um, lots of to-in and fro-in and upstairs and downstairs and all over the place. Yeah, I think it's easily the most frenetic. Maybe, it is. Maybe Basil the Rat, which we haven't covered yet. I think that's quite frenetic. Even with the addition of Mr Ingram with his, with his blow-up doll, which seemed unnecessary and it was for the purpose of a joke, like a purpose of like, you know... Um, no, it, it wasn't a, a story point. It didn't change the plot. Yeah. To, to even add that in was, was like over the top because it was already the busiest of, of episodes. Do you know what? I know I mentioned Queen the other week, the band Queen, but do you know what it yeah. reminds me of? John Cleese having this this little dig at this guy mm. and this TV critic. It reminds me of a song by Queen where Freddie Mercury was pissed off with a journalist and wrote a song that just basically slammed this guy. And I'll get the lyrics up because... They're so crowbarred and clumsy, which isn't something you necessarily yeah. um, associate with. You don't associate that with Queen, really, do you? Let's have a look. Freddie had beef, just like Cleese had beef. Yeah. You suck my blood like a leech. You break the law and you breach. Screw my brain till it hurts. You've taken all my money and you want more. Misguided old mule with your pig-headed rules, with your narrow-minded cronies who are fools. Blimey. But the best bit is, uh, oh, there's some awful stuff. Do you feel like suicide? I think you should. Gosh. Is your conscience all right? Does it plague you at night? Do you feel good? 
And then my favourite bit, which is so clumsy, is you're just an overgrown schoolboy. Let me tan your hide. A dog with disease. You're the king of the sleaze. Put your money where your mouth is, Mr. Know-it-all. Was the fin on your back part of the deal? And then the backing vocals go, shark. (laughs) (laughs) Just in case you weren't sure. (laughs) So clumsy. Like, was the fin on your back part of the deal? What's that mean? Shark. (laughs) Shark. Oh, anyway, I digress. Yes, um... My, I don't know about you, but my favourite thing in the whole episode was the Doctor and his sausages. And his sausages, yes. Um, I think my favourite bit was, I think Manuel, when he was trying to get the Doctor to not sit down and eat his breakfast, when he was busy pulling off the um, tablecloth and moving all the cutlery. Very well done, wasn't it? Physical he was so, yeah, yeah, he was so adamant. Yeah you're, not, yeah, you're not sitting down. Have you ever been so obsessed with an item of food, you know, like during pregnancy with cravings or anything, um, that you would do anything for them? Spaghetti <laughs> spaghetti hoops on Warburton CD Bachelor. That's very with specific. Lurpak butter. It was very specific. Yeah, rather than it being, yeah, it was. It, that's what I, I had such bad um, morning sickness that that is all I could think about sometimes, and I even like left places to go home and eat those things together. Do you still have a proclivity for that particular meal or is it past now? Since... No, I like them, but I'm not. It doesn't, it, it wouldn't sort of alter my day. Right. No, in, in which it did. You wouldn't concede to eating some that had been prepped in a food area where a corpse had just been? I don't think I would. No, I would go <laughs> elsewhere. The only other example I can think of with such obsessive food behaviour is um, the guy who was in the band Yes, Rick Wakeman. You know him? Yeah. He was so obsessed with curry that he had hmm. one delivered while he was performing on stage and started eating it. What, while he was performing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Here we go. From Rick, Waitman, Rick Waitman's autobiography. During every show, a keyboard tech reclined underneath Waitman's Hammond organ, ready to fix broken hammers or ribbons, and to continually hand me alcoholic beverages. Right. One night in Manchester, the tech asked the bored Waitman what he wanted to eat after the show, and Waitman said, I'll have a curry. But I think mm-hmm. possibly the guy just heard curry and didn't get the context behind after the show. Right, So, yeah. uh, again, just reading from his memoir. Half the audience were in no- narcotic rapture on some far-off planet and the other half were asleep, bored, shitless. <laughs> well, that speaks highly to his um, pianist <laughs> skills, doesn't it? Um, yeah. Waitman kept on at the keyboards, adding gossamer organ melodies and ambient passages to the songs. And then around 30 minutes later, his tech started handing up little foil trays of curry. <laughs> and Wakeman... That just sounds like a dream. Wakeman began placing them on top of his keyboards. I still didn't have a lot to do, he wrote, so I thought I might as well tuck in. <laughs> the food was obscured by the instrument stacks and by Wakeman's cape. Is <laughs> <laughs> that the count from Sesame Street? How many biryanis? <laughs> One. Two. The food was obscured by the oh. instrument stacks. Uh, I've read that bit. The aroma danced over to Yes's lead singer, John Anderson. He took a good look at the culinary insult and shrugged. He wandered over and then returned to his microphone, Papa Dom in hand to sing his next part. So even the singer... That's... It's like, imagine trying to sing with a Papa Dom. With a Papa Dom in your hand. Maybe it's doing Papa Dom preach. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's mad, oh. isn't it? Prog rock. Well, actually, Rick Waitman also said, prog rock isn't like Brussels sprouts. It's more like curry. Everyone likes one flavour or another. So basically, he's obsessed with curry, just like Dr. Sausages. He's obsessed with sausages. Wow. Yeah. 
that was a uh, that was a tangent you didn't expect me to go on, wasn't it? <laughs> no, I wasn't expecting that at all. No, prog rock, curry, yeah. Do you manage to get any bric-a-brac this week, Alison? Um, I there was only one thing that I could that I could think I of. I bet being it's the same part as me. Go on. I bet it is part of the bric-a-brac for this week, just because it was so bizarre that it just popped up in the middle of an episode. It was a blow-up doll. Oh, okay. Yeah. Was that not yours? No, it wasn't. No, no. But I know what you mean. I would assume now, with the advent of things like flashlights, that yeah, that a don't ugly need... blow-up doll, which is what they were. I never, as a kid, yeah. I saw them going up in Del Boy's van, you know, in that famous Fools and Horses episode. And I thought, what, people yeah. stick their willy in that? Fucking hell. Yeah, exactly. It just looks... Uh... Very of its time. It, I think those like the the blonde-haired, big-boobed, red-lipped, blow-up dolls of the 70s. Hmm. I don't see a blonde in your contacts. Hang on. Who would you like to... My watch is going off, sorry. You just said blow-up doll and it tried to phone Blundell. <laughs> it tried to... <laughs> no, Siri, have a day off. <laughs> I'll just put her over there. Yeah, so it, for me that was... One, it, it just stuck out like a sore thumb. It just... Yeah, it just felt like it was of a time. Mm. No, that wasn't the one I picked, though. I, I oh, thought right, okay. I thought you would have picked the same one as me because it was so prominent in the scene, which was in Mister Kipper's room, Mister Corpse's room, Mister um, Yeah, Mister Lehman's room. Yeah, he had a old fashioned radio on the wall, right above it, oh, okay. right above his bed, which I guess was right. his wake up mechanism. Yeah, I don't know if it was a radio or just some sort of. Um, it, I mean, it may even have been like a. Um, not tannoy. What do I mean? You know where you can press it and talk to reception. Like it, like um, yeah, yeah. But it looked rather like, like having a telephone. It looked just like a speaker with perhaps a dial on top where you could just you know get your AM radio as I guess it was at the time, or even yeah. even low wave radio might have been. I'm not sure. Yeah. Listen to the archers. Yeah, you don't see those anymore, do you? No, no. Should we have a trip over to Fashion Corner? Let's do that. Well, well it's, it's time, time to, to take, take a little trip. trip. To the place that long ago was hip. It's Fashion Corner. It's Fashion Corner. It's Fashion Corner. Fashion Corner. Our first part of call this week for Fashion Corner was the red-haired lechy lady in the in the bar with the very small man, who the red-haired lady with the blue and floral dress. It was a lovely dress, like really striking, and the pattern I think was quite modern looking despite the fact that it was of a time in the 70s. You could st- you could see that pattern re-emerging now in fashion, I think. Neil-Lens dress, probably man-made, like a, like a material like nylon or polyester, but it had really beautiful, flo- like a floral print on it and swirly blue colours, which I thought was really lovely. Uh, the man who was with her, who she was pawing, he had a fantastic jacket on in like a rusty brown check with a striped brown tie and sable slacks, which is... Um, probably the colour that I would describe them as Um, but they were very smart, those two Um, obviously out for a a night out before heading upstairs Sybil, around the same time she's dressed in like a peach chiffon blouse with ruffles on the front and around the cuffs and I think 
think we've seen a re-emergence of the pleather skirt, but I wasn't sure whether it was the pleather skirt or it might be satin. It was very shiny, mm. and but but quite short, sort of taking us into the 80s. That, that for me, felt more like an 80s-style skirt to be wearing. Well, we but are on the cusp, I suppose. We are. We're almost there, aren't we? Tipping over into the 80s. Um, with, this, with this blouse that she had on, she also had like a very small black bow tie, and I think it was like a brooch that was um, sort of pinned... To the to the to underneath the collar, um, but she looked very smart, very lovely. Mister Ingram's pajamas were very sort of seventies pajamas. Very odd that he went up to his room, got his bloke doll out, and put his pajamas on. Very formal. Mm. I mean, um, if you're gonna fuck a blow up doll, you don't really need to. Yeah. Put your PJs pajamas on, do you? No. Yeah. Okay, then. So, what have we got next week, Al? We have got. Um, Series 2, Episode 5, The Anniversary, next week. Oh, yes, where Polly gets dressed up as Sybil and pretends to be her in bed. Yeah. And and it's the it's it's the the infamous opening scene with the, the sign outside. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Eunice Stubbs is in this one, eh? Eunice Stubbs! <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> no Lionel Blair or Michael Parkinson. <laughs> Lisa Goddard. Just Una. Yeah, just Una. So if you're enjoying what we're doing, you can follow us at Saddle Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And there we post rare photos and videos on Faulty Towers, The Good Life and more. We've got a Facebook page that you can find by searching Saddle Podcast. And we also have a growing Facebook group that you can join and contribute to if you like. Lots of discussion on there and memes and rarities. Um, you can also vote for the subject matter of our forthcoming third series, which will be later this year. Um, and you can... Make some suggestions, if you like, as to what you would like us to do. You could subscribe to our newsletter by visiting the website at saddle.club. And you can also there find more information about us, read our blog, show to the coffee as a way of saying thanks if you like, and listen to the episodes if you don't do podcast apps. You can also watch the original episodes there that we discussed, or you can take our Good Life quiz. Get in touch, email us at saddlepodcast at gmail.com. And subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. So join us next week where we'll be having a deep dive into the anniversary. It's the penultimate one of our Faulty Towers deep dive. So we really need your suggestions, as I'll just said. Send them in. But for now, this is me, Eggs Benedict, saying goodnight. Goodnight. Howdy ho.